Thanks for listening and welcome to the CoachMaze.com podcast, where high school basketball coaches can turn to find that one takeaway to add to their already successful programs. Like you, I'm a high school coach, so let me know on Twitter at Coach J. Mays what your takeaway from today's talk was. Hey, hoopheads, we all hate ankle sprains, and they happen way too often. Ankle injuries are the number one sports-related injury. Arise is trying to change that. With the iFast, your athletes get preventative protection and full mobility. Athletes no longer need to wear bulky braces that limit performance and give mediocre protection. Anyone playing sports should be using these products. Keep your athletes in the game. Don't wait for them to get hurt to take action. Visit www.arise.com, spelled A-R-Y-S-E, and use the code HOOPHEADS to get 20% off the future of performance. That's A-R-Y-S-E.com with promo code HOOPHEADS to get 20% off. In 2017, J.P. Nurbin founded the Thrive On Challenge as a blog, and it grew into a sports consulting business. Since founding the Thrive On Challenge, he served hundreds of coaches, athletes, and parents across the world, at every level and in every sport. Regardless of their sport level or country, he's confident that he can help you, the coach, as you develop your team A player himself from the state of South Carolina, J.P. uh, attended the University of South Carolina as a student-athlete on the men's basketball team, where in 2006, he was part of the team that won the NIT National Championship. After graduating from college, J.P. uh, moved to Ireland. He got a teaching degree in physical education and sports science at the University of Limerick, one of the top universities in Europe for sports education. He's coached over 12 years in Ireland, Lithuania, Tennessee, Pennsylvania at the professional level, the collegiate level, and the high school level. You're going to find a lot of takeaways from our our talk today. Um, You're going to find more than one. And again, the goal of this podcast is to give you one takeaway that's going to help you make your program better tomorrow than it was today. So sit back, enjoy. Make sure you got a pad and a a pen or a pencil because you're going to want to take notes on this one. Hey, Hoopheads, we appreciate you listening to this episode of the CoachMaze.com podcast. Be sure to check out these other basketball pods on the Hoopheads podcast network, including Thrive with Trevor Huffman, Beyond the Ball, and our two latest shows, Players Court with Joseph Harris and Bleachers and Boards with Matt Collier and Marlon Guild. We also have team-focused NBA pods, Cavaliers Central, Nuck If You Buck, the 305 Culture Miami Heat podcast, and Grizz and Grind. Oh, and don't forget to check out our flagship, the Hoopheads podcast, hosted by me, Mike Cleansing, and my co-host, Jason Sunkel, featuring the best minds in the game, from grassroots to the NBA. J.P. Nurbin is our guest today on the CoachMaze.com podcast. J.P., how are you doing this morning? And we're doing fantastic. It's a little bit of the afternoon for me. Oh. Five or six hours ahead of you, but uh, it's great to have a conversation with you, Coach. So tell, tell our listeners why your uh, time zone is different from uh, mine here in Kentucky. 
Oh, well, I uh, just recently in November, we moved my family from uh, central Pennsylvania over to Dublin, Ireland for, for my wife's job there. So we just, we had a bit of a, bit of a big change there and uh, it's been an exciting time of our lives. <laughs> well, Earlier this spring, I participated in one of your, your webinars. Uh, it was early in the quarantine period where everybody was pretty much at home. And I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, took I'm a big yellow pad guy, JP. I, I have yellow, yellow pads run my life. And uh, I've, I filled up um, uh, half a yellow pad and, and taken some notes from it. Um, you touched on a lot of good topics that all high school coaches need to hear. And so I knew I wanted to try to get you on our podcast. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful that you decided to join us today. Um, with that being said, uh, I think high school coaches are going to love what you have to say. So let's just dive right in, if uh, that's okay with you. Sounds good, brother. All right. So what is, what's the mission behind what you do, JP, and the mission behind the Thrive On Challenge? Yeah, so it's it's all about serving coaches, coach. It's all about how we can, uh, with whatever the needs of coaches are as a leader and the way that they're developing their culture. And, and everyone's in a different place. Uh, though some of the challenges, some of the obstacles that we face as a coach are similar, uh, we understand that everyone's circumstances are different and that a cookie-cutter approach to building culture cookie cutter approach to developing leaders or just growing yourself as a leader isn't really an effective way and, and so there needs to be personalized support because everyone's at a different spot in a different circumstance okay so the thrive on challenge what's the why behind the name you know it honestly came from a little bit about my story and, and how it just how thrive on challenge originated I was going through my own coaching journey and I had been working with a mentor, a guy named Jamie Gilbert, who co-authored the book Burn Your Goals. I had worked with, uh, you know, Train to Be Clutch, and the other author of uh, Burn Your Goals is Joshua Metcalf, who, who's written the popular book Chop Wood, Carry Water. And I've been working with Jamie through um, some changes in my own leadership, you know, about 11 years in my coaching journey. And um, he really helped me a lot. He really helped push me. Uh, to put first things first, put character to culture, and put my own leadership development first. And, and I, I was really growing a lot. I was putting culture first, but it didn't make it easy. It actually made it harder, you know, trying to be transformational in my coaching. I thought people would be, you know, all about it, you know, gung-ho, um, you know, 100% behind me. I thought parents would love it. I thought administrators would love it. But that's not really always the culture we live in. And so I experienced a lot of resistance, a lot of challenge uh, during that time. And when I was facing that resistance, uh, I wrote my first blog and I, I titled it uh, Thrive on Challenge. Just essentially, uh, it comes from a line in Carol Dweck's book, Mindset, where she says, people with a growth mindset seek and thrive on challenges. And I, I resonated with that. It's kind of my story as an athlete, um, you know, growing, growing up in South Carolina and playing at the University of South Carolina as a walk-on. and it kind of resonates with my story as a coach of just loving and enjoying uh, those challenges. And so kind of just started from a blog and that blog years later kind of really has led to uh, this kind of consulting and mentorship business. Right. So as you 
were figuring this out as you were um, having some successes and as you were failing forward, uh, trying to see where this uh, was going to take you, what exactly were some of those successes or failures that led up to where you are now and uh, how, how, where the Thrive On Challenge and your consultancy, where the state it is today, what did you learn along the way? What were the bumps in the road, so to speak? Well, two things. One is we, you know, I've been coaching for 10 years and, and I was committed to being a transformational coach, which we can explore what that means later. But I really committed to this idea of, you know, being a better leader, leading by example, putting character first, putting people first, overwitting. And um, I thought if I did that, you know, the results would come. And, and I really do believe often they do, but they didn't come right away. We actually were going through the most losing season of my 11 year uh, coaching history. And um, so I, it was a really, we were losing a lot. And then I was holding players to high standards. And I'd always held my players you know, accountable, but I started to really do it in a much different way. Um, I started to really honestly um, do it in a way that I wasn't yelling or screaming. And, and, and that was a positive at the same time. I was probably tougher on them. So like while I wasn't yelling or screaming, and I would enforce standards in a way of care and love and respect. Same time, I was still holding higher standards day in and day out. I was constantly raising the bar. And that created resistance as player might sit out a game. Player might get sent home from practice for certain things because they chose to not meet the standards of our program. And for some people, some parents, they, they didn't appreciate that. Right. Uh, they, they felt like they didn't want their kids to be held accountable. So there was some initial resistance. But the successes were, first off, uh, a sense of fulfillment that I'd finally committed to doing and being the coach that I knew I wanted to be. I wasn't there completely, but I started to say, man, this feels right. This is right. This is who I want to be. Not who, I'm not just coaching from my default mode. You know, I'm not coaching just the way that I was coached. I'm coaching with intentionality, with purpose. And the second big thing was, the culture did start to come together. The relationships started to, to, to really form that were meaningful relationships. And I started to see transformation in the young people I was working with. And um, so that whole kind of story, uh, you know, it was, it, was a, it was a great season. We, you know, we turned a corner, we won a lot of games, we went back to back conference champions, but there were some great little mini stories on there that uh, of kids just, you know, that were probably, uh, I might have, in previous seasons, kicked them off the team or just been constantly at a, on edge with, with throughout the season, we were able to see some real personal growth and transformation in them as well as me. Right. That's awesome. Let me, um, so you have you coached any other sports besides basketball, JP? So I kind of kind of have a unique background. So I coached basketball. Well, I started coaching basketball in Ireland Um you know, back around 2006, and I ended up changing up my courses in college and studying PE and sports science there at the University of Limerick. And so I started studying how to teach rugby, um, soccer, you know, swimming, like all those different sports. I really started to uh, to explore and learn and grow in those things. So I would have coached a team of other sports. Uh, but I have done a lot of consulting of other sports. I work with hockey teams, American football teams, soccer teams, volleyball teams, uh, and rugby teams. That's awesome. All right, so tell us about Calling Up. And, and, and to our high school coach listeners, uh, Calling Up is the name of, of, of JP's book. 
Um, when was the book released? And tell us a little bit about the book. I know I just ordered mine this morning in preparing for our interview today. So uh, be full transparency. I haven't read it yet. Um, I read some reviews and write-ups on it. But uh, tell the listeners a little bit about your book called Calling Up. Yeah, no, I yeah, appreciate the opportunity to share about something that, you know, it's my first book and it's been really well received is, you know, it continues to continues to sell, it's, you know, sell more than it's ever have in the recent months. Uh, maybe that's just because people are, are bored of reading uh, or they want books to read and then that's fine on the list, so I don't know. Uh, but it's it's a fable type story. I don't know if, if people have read the fables, like the John Gordon type fable stories. Uh, it is a fable, but it's probably, you know, people say it's a lot different than the, your, your average fable in the sense that it goes a lot more practical as well throughout the story. So I don't, I try to use an engaging, um, an interesting story of a high school coach that I kind of model on my story, the story of all these coaches that I know and work with. And, and just, I, I try to tell this story of this coach, Dave Danny. But through that, you know, he meets the mentors along the way and they try to work with them and teach them not just principles, but really try to work with them on certain strategies, strategies around communication, strategies around building relationships, strategies around discipline. Uh, so it goes beyond just the theory or the aspirational vision of making a difference and, you know, being a positive leader to really actually uh, what that looks like and how you can actually kind of build in a systematic and strategic way build that into your culture and build that into your own personal life. Right. And then you also have, before we dive into some specific topics here, I also want to let our listeners know that you have a podcast uh, yourself. It's called the Coaching Culture Podcast. Again, the Coaching Culture Podcast. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, we just hit three years. Uh, you know, every week, an episode around 30 minutes. And it's it's been cool. It's, it's early on. I one of my first guests was Mike Gabers, and I remember it was probably around episode five, and I probably called Mike Gabers every every week for about four months, and finally he said, "All right, I'll talk to you." And so that was my first guest yeah. episode, and yeah. now we've we've been able to be fortunate enough that we've grown to a stage where we can have really some phenomenal wide range of guests. We don't just pull like your traditional coach, like here, let's go get you know the big name in coaching. We don't actually do that. We go for for coaches. That you know, maybe at the Division three and the NAIA level, coaches of other um, sports other than just basketball. But we try to move in other different fields. We've had uh, people like Kate Fagan who wrote the book What Made Maddie Run. She's an ESPN uh, women uh, writer. Uh, we've just recently had um, Mike Abershoff, New York Times bestselling book uh, It's Your Ship. He used to be a former Navy ship captain, so he shares his experience as a leader taken. One of the Navy's worst ships, the best ships. I mean, we've had James Clear, you know, Atomic Habits. We've had just some really unique guests on there on neuroscience and brain science, and we were able to tie that into coaching. So we really try to step outside the traditional uh, type of guests, and we try to put that into a practical episode for coaches that they listen to that and they go, okay, this is what it looks like for me. Okay. All right. Well, let's dive. Uh, let's take a little bit of a deeper dive into some topics that um, – selfishly uh, I've been itching to talk to you about let's start with this talk to me in your mind what is the difference between transactional and transformational coaching yeah uh, simply transactional coaching is when we're coaching and we're looking what we're going to get out of it and transformational coaching is about what we're going to give 
I love the comedian Michael G- Michael Jr. and he has this thing uh, in comedy about how he had this shift, this change, uh, when he stopped trying to go out and get laughs and started trying to give laughs. And I think transformational coaching is when we're not trying to get more out of our players. We're just trying to give. We're just trying to serve. We're trying to meet them where they're at. And so it starts with vision and heart. Do you have a clear vision, a purpose? And I'd say most coaches get into coaching because they want to make a difference. So, you know, okay, great, you have that. But does that align with your heart posture? You know, are you walking into practice? Are you walking into the games? And are you operating from that from that mindset, from that from that place of I'm here to serve, I'm here to meet you here, and I'm here to care about you? Or are you in there trying to get something out of them so you can win the next game or you can get through something that you need to get through so you feel good about your practice? And so I think that that first it starts with heart and vision, and then secondly it comes down to uh, behaviors and intentionality. So I could have the vision and the heart, like, hey, I want to make a difference in kids' lives and I could come in there to serve, but if my behaviors don't match up with what I value, then I'm not really operating as a transformational coach. So a lot of coaches, you know, they might put up on their team wall, we're gonna be selfless, we're gonna be competitive, we're gonna be resilient, we're gonna be hardworking. And typically we can probably nail the hardworking and we can probably nail the, the competitive piece. But sometimes we struggle with, you know, that selflessness or that resilience piece when it comes to keeping control of our emotions or, you know, things like that as coaches. We all have our own challenges, but it comes down to do our behaviors align with our heart and with our vision. You know, one of the things here in our our program at Ashland Blazer High School, JP, is um, – we, we're going to get into standards here, but we do have standards of behavior. I want to, I want to pick your brain on that. But uh, on this point, we're talking about right now the difference between uh, transactional and transformational coaching is we have a saying that we talk about all the time. And at first I was like, my kids, my kids are just going to laugh me out of the locker room when I tell them of my conviction and how I want our program to operate, mainly using this tenant. And that is... Uh, we live to love and we love to give. That's that's written on the wall outside of our locker room. And, you know, it's a little cheesy, I guess. But I just loved what you just said about heart posture. You know, when you, and I think to repeat, you said, like, when you walk into practice, what is your heart posture? Um, but and, and, and that just brought that up to the forefront of my mind. The other thing, is, and I'm sure you've studied this uh, in sports science and, and your academic history, uh, cognitive dissonance. You know, the in my layman's terms would be the gap between your beliefs and your behaviors. And as basketball coaches, we need to every day after practice, we need to stop reflect on all the typical X's and O's and how you executed and this and that, what you need to get better at tomorrow and things of that nature. But you also need to reflect, in my opinion, as the leader of this program, uh, did my beliefs and who we are as a team match my behaviors as the coach of this team? Um, And man, if you look at the days that you had a bad practice and you're honest with yourself, you probably are going to say, you know what? There's a big gap today between the beliefs I have for this team and how I behaved as a coach of this team. 
You know, it's not just always on the players. But uh, and I think when you start to think that way, you take ownership in your own actions as a leader of a program. You start to feel that you're a transformational coach rather than just a transactional coach, which is just trying to go out there and get wins. Um, but I love what you said there, heart posture. I'm gonna I'm steal that. Okay, I hope that's not. I hope that's not copyrighted. <laughs> no, um, it's not. It's, 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 I've, I've taken it off other people too, and it's just it's just about coming in and not trying to control other people, but trying to empower other people. Yeah, and, and that that's the big piece of it. So we got lots of coach speak, if you will, JP, about leadership. How do you work with teams and developing their leadership through their coaches and their players? Um, tell us a little bit about what you do there and just working with teams regarding leadership. Yeah, I mean, it, so there's a lot of great research out there that just shows that leadership training is ineffective, or like hmm. most leadership training, like putting people in a classroom and trying to teach them about leadership, or even it's not to say that it's just, it's, it's not, it's bad. It's not bad. It's just, it's not enough. Like giving a kid a leadership book, let's read this book. Okay, are we a better leader? No. It helps. It, it's, it's the same as if you were to, you wanted a stronger basketball team and you brought them to the classroom and you taught them all about the muscles and how to weight train. Well, they understand it. They're more maybe equipped to be able to go out there and more effectively work on it, but they actually haven't worked on it. Same with leadership. So you actually have to put and create uh, leadership development needs to be experiential. Now, first, that means as coaches, we have to take uh, control of our own leadership development. We need to be investing in ourselves because bottom line is, I know this from personal experience, if we don't model the behaviors that we want to see out of our players, it doesn't make a dang bit of difference what we say. Secondly, then are you giving players an opportunity to lead? I ask coaches this all the time in maybe a conversation and say, okay, you're struggling with leadership. Well, what are your players allowed to make decisions on? And typically, the answer is something along the lines of, oh, they get to pick the uniforms and the socks. And so that's all they're going to take ownership of is whether they look good or not on game day. See, ownership, you know, only it comes down to a few big things. And one of the most core components from a psychological perspective of ownership is, first off, is autonomy and decision-making. So we have to give them decision-making. Uh, that's a big piece of it. Uh, another big component of it is relationship, that they're really, they, they feel connected to something. So, but really, so you have to develop certain systems. So I help coaches to, first off, develop some systems within their program that are going to give repeated experiences to the players to help be a part of the decision-making process. And secondly, to support them. So often coaches will be like, well, I let them make the decision, or I gave them this, or they got that, they chose the wrong thing, or they didn't step up, they, they got to re- leave the world up, and it was horrible. Well, that's fine. That's exactly what you want. You want them to make decisions. You want them to sometimes choose the right thing and sometimes choose the wrong thing. But your role isn't there to call them out. It's to step in there and work through that. Okay, what happened? Why did it happen that way? How could you have done it better? What will you do better next time? How can I support you in that? So leadership training is about experiential learning, and it's our job as coaches to act more, instead of like the leadership guru telling them what to do, we need to be more like the guide, just helping them, asking questions, helping them to really think about um, you know, their decisions and to explore those things. 
So specifically speaking to high school sports, and even let's nail it down in an even more detailed fashion. Right now, I want you to speak to a high school basketball coach. Okay. What have you learned about, what have you seen, what have you observed in high school programs that you've worked with? What are programs lacking, uh, unable to achieve, or what's the secret sauce, so to speak, for the successful programs that you've consulted with and that you've noticed great leadership in their programs? Um, speak to the, the, the high school basketball coach in that regards. Yeah, I think you're seeing two things happen. One is coaches are just giving up on captains or in the role of captains, and they're just saying, oh, I don't want anything to do with it, you know, because it's always just a mess, and we don't have any leaders. Or you're seeing them, you know, doing really well-intentioned and valuable things like books or training programs, and they're putting their players through that, but then it's not translating to actually giving them experience. So how could you do – how could a high school basketball coach – well, first off, you could be really intentional – and allowing the players to be a part of the very process of deciding who is the captains. A lot of the coaches will be like, well, I don't like who they pick. They're not good leaders. But the reality is they are who the players look to. And so you have a responsibility to work with the players they look to to help them to become really good leaders. So first off, you know, we work with coaches to be really intentional, to make it not about a popularity contest, to get players to really craft a kind of a job description or a vision of what they need in a leader and to be reflective on that. So you sit down early part of the season and ask them, hey, what type of leader do we need? What are the qualities? What do those behaviors look like? And then you can have them vote on that. Once you have them voted on that, you can select what we like to say is kind of like a one to three or one to four ratio for captains to players. Because we want to then take those captains and we want to assign them units. People they're in charge of looking after throughout that season. They have to make commit three captain's commitments, and most of our programs make three, a commitment to serve, a commitment to support, and a commitment to connect. So they are carrying the water, they're sweeping the shafts, or something like that to serve. They're eating last every time in the line, they're making a, com- a commitment to connect. So they do things like a group chat, and they grab lunch together, and they hang out after practice with their people, their unit. And the last one is they try to make a commitment to uh, support. And those are very individualized. What you need, Jason needs, is much different than what JP needs. And, you know, Jason struggles with showing up on time. JP gets really hot-headed in games. And so I, as the leader of his unit, I am really in charge of helping to support both people in different ways. And, and the big thing there is the coach meets with those, those captains every single week. And they sit down and they review the commitments. They talk about the people in their unit. And they talk about what's going on in the team. What does the team need this week? Sometimes you might be facing a tough decision as a coach. You bring that decision to the players. What do you think? You explore the pros and the cons, and you t- ask their opinion on those type of things. You, that gives them such valuable insight into what real leadership's about. It gives them insight into the, the hard decisions you have to make as a leader. But also, not only does it give them insight, and they're going to be more bought into whatever decision you guys eventually come to, and they're going to become an advocate for that decision in the locker room. So those are just kind of like a brief overview of our, our, like our captain's council system, as we call it, which is really, really the key way to systematically uh, develop leaders. Okay. Uh, you know, that's, uh, that's one of the things I was going to ask you, but I think you broke it down um, in a terrific manner. I was going to ask you about the captain's council. Um, that's one of the 
the things that you're you're sort of you are developing a reputation for for working with uh, sports organizations on. And I, I mean, I, I've been writing as fast as I could here as I'm listening to you, um, and that's just really good stuff. All right, let's let's move forward here. What what are standards in your mind? So let me preface that question. I've been thinking about this a lot lately, personally, with our program. Um, and I'm, I'm putting myself out here because you may say, Coach, you're wrong. <laughs> but, you know, we, one, of our, one of the tenets of our, um, of our program, our championship of co- our culture of champions, is standards of behavior. Okay. Um, we, one of our main standards is the tongue reflects the heart. So we, we, we pay attention to our language and then how we treat um, females, uh, our peers in school. Um, our prof- our teachers and our professors and game officials. Um, so that that's part of our uh, standards of behavior, but it's bigger than that. That's sort of a, a, a microcosm of it. If you have an existing podcast or are looking to launch your own pod but aren't sure where to start, the team at My Podcast Manager can help. Our podcast team works behind the scenes so you can do what you do best. We'll help you launch your podcast, make it sound great, and free up your time for the more enjoyable parts of podcasting. If you're ready to put your podcast editing, production, and promotion on autopilot with a trusted team of podcasting professionals, visit mypodcastmanager.com to get started. Should a team standard be what you expect, E-X-P-E-C-T, or what you accept? Accept A C C E P T. Is a standard what you expect or is it what you accept? I'm wrestling with that right now. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think there's a few different ways to, to lay out standards. I like that you said behaviors because I think it comes down to behaviors. I think too often coaches talk about our standards, they say, well, it's going to be selflessness or care, you know, um, we're going to be competitive. And I think you have to really drive home certain behaviors. Uh, I think my opinion on this has kind of changed over the, over the years, especially in the last year with all the programs I've been, been fortunate to work with. I think where coaches struggle with standards is they don't pick things that are relevant. They don't pick, like, we, we have too much fluff. Like, if I ask my team tomorrow, hey, what's, what's, encouraging look like? Let's come up with some behaviors to model, you know, that exemplify the, encouraging they're gonna come up with a lot of really nice stuff but what's relevant to what are we currently accepting so this kind of tries comes to answer your uh, question what are we currently accepting what do we accept in the past we have you know but it's been really a negative it's been an unacceptable behavior or it's been below the line it's like kind of the urban meyer phrasing you know so it's identifying those things that you've been accepting that you need to no longer go, you know, accept moving forward. That means you need to be addressing them and supporting them. So I, I think, I don't use the word expectation. Um, we just talk about standards or the way we do things here. And then when, and we, we, we come up with those standards in maybe three really big ways. And the first is the coach has his non-negotiables, which are about three different things that you want to, always fight for every practice every game you're never giving up on those and those come from the coach and then there's the player standards um and that's really how you get the 
players to articulate some of those behaviors that they want uh, to be a part of their team culture. And the last thing is just in practice, uh, in games, uh, I like the, the phrase success criteria from, from the UK basketball coach, Alan Keane. I, I took that from him and we use that uh, a lot. It's just like, what does success look like essentially right now? And you're constantly asking your players that question. What success look like in today's game? What success look like in today's practice? What's it look like in the next 15 minutes? And you're trying to get them to articulate those behaviors. Mm, I love that. Um, I know I'm supposed to be ready to talk right now, but I'm still writing. <laughs> okay. Um, let's shift to parents. Okay. One of the things um, that I loved about the time I spent listening to you in the spring was um, your thoughts and your commentary uh, and how you work with uh, teams and organizations and, 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 and dealing with parents. Um, I'll go on the record right now in front of the whole internet universe and say, I love our parents. Our parents, our parents are a huge part of our program. I believe a high school coach who excludes their parents is making a huge mistake. Uh, I believe a high school coach that avoids their parents, um, is making a huge mistake. Uh, And, I wouldn't have necessarily said that when I was knee deep into my college coaching career because college is totally different than high school. Um, you know, you can look at a parent and say, look, I'm paying for a school. Are we really going to have this uh, discussion right now? And they're like, oh, no. OK, I understand. But in high school, these kids are still living underneath their parents' roof. Uh, half of them are still being driven to school or driven to Dairy Queen or, you know, they're driving their, them and their girlfriend to the movies, you know, by their parents. Um and they're, they're, they're living under their parents' auspices, so to speak. And one of the reasons that we have such high-character kids in our program currently is because of parents. It's not because of me. It's not because of anything that we do basketball-related. The, the, what we do is just supplemental to what their parents are doing or have already done in raising these fine young men. Um, so why would you want to push a strength away? Why would you not? Why would you not want to bring that strength in? That's my thoughts. Now, I've coached in programs where the parent culture was it was totally different than what I have here, and you know, so there's every circumstance, every team circumstance with parents is going to be different. I understand that it depends on your your demographics of where you coach and where you live and things of that nature. But at the root core of it all, parents want to see their kids succeed. They want to see a coach helping their 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 child succeed that regardless where you live regardless what sport that's going to be a constant okay so um i think it's a, a huge topic that i think a lot of coaches avoid and i think that's a mistake so let's dive into the parent involvement in a high school program again we're talking to a, a high school basketball coach here jp so um i'm gonna let you sort of run with your thoughts on this some notes i had just to touch on were playing time you know, how do we talk to parents about playing time, um, you know, not only when they're disappointed in their son's playing time, but what should we be doing before they reach the point of disappointment regarding their playing time? Properly setting expectations with parents. And what is a parent's role in a program? Um, so let's let's just run with that. Just dive into that uh, wherever you want to start. Yeah, I'll just start with that. I agree with you. You know, you got to involve the parents. And a lot of times coaches have been stung, they've been hurt, you know, and so I think we put up walls. And so it's a real, I think the, 
biggest first step is just kind of getting over it and changing, like you said, our perspective that parents can be an asset or um, they could be potentially a strength. I don't think that's, you know, sometimes the culture is always perfect for parents, you know, and everyone's as fortunate as yourself. But I think it's, if we really want to be transformational coaches, we want to make a difference in the kids' lives. Um, we got to remember who the number one influence in anybody's life, and that's their parent. Yes, coaches can be life-changing, um, but parents are more important than us. They just are. You know, they 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 growing up. Uh, you know, they raised the child, changed the diapers. They done all the work, right? right? So, you know, sometimes as coaches, we we can we need to remember that, and sometimes we forget that. So, uh, yeah, we got to start working with parents. Um, you mentioned the playing time. Let's start there real quick. I'll share one thing in the playing time. It's like. I don't think most coaches have an idea of really how they decide playing time. Mm. I don't think they communicate it well if they're assistant coaches. Mm. Uh, I, I think that there's not even really an open conversation on that. I think people need to be really clear on how they decide playing time first off for themselves. Then they have to be effective at communicating that to their players and then to the parents. And because playing time is probably the, the biggest culture divider, it can turn negative really quickly. And I think. I go across and all the programs I work with, you know, people's biggest issue is playing time. And then people's biggest issue is a lack of transparency or communication. And I, I get it. Coaches say, well, I, I did communicate it or I did it. But, like, we have to over-communicate. We have to be over-transparent here. So, you know, we, we talk about a lot of our coaches. I, I'm a big advocate of the two-threshold idea around playing time, just at the competitive high school level, is first off, you need to meet our, our culture standards. Academically, you need to be, to be you need to be eligible, uh, or and you need to be attending. And then the behaviors they need to be aligned in practice. You need to be training at a minimum standard. It doesn't necessarily mean you're the, the hardest worker in the program, but you're meeting the minimum standard of what it takes to be a part of this program. And um, off the court culturally, you know, you mentioned some standards there as well. So we just call those the ABCs: academics, behavior, and cultural standards. You know, and but you have to meet the minimum expectation there of what we expect to be eligible. But once you're eligible, we just pick the best players that are going to give us the best chance to win in this game that's in front of us. So that's kind of how we try to encourage coaches. But you have to find a way to communicate that to parents. But not only that, how are you going to support your players in those roles? Mm -hmm. I think it's a huge piece. Like You have to have a real clear system. We have some pretty unique systems that make it simple and make it really clear so that every player knows pretty good idea of how many minutes they can expect to play, you know, with some variability, obviously, in most, game, in most games, but how many minutes they can expect to play. They also feel valued and cared for, regardless yeah. of whether they're playing or not. I think it's just really important. Let me, let me stop you there. Let me interject. All right, so you know at the high school level um, in, in the United States – and from a basketball standpoint, you played high school basketball. Let me let me let me let me back this up. Did you play when you were in high school, JP? Did you play on a freshman, a JV, and a varsity team at some point in your high school career? I was varsity all four years. Oh, so you were one of those guys, huh? You're the golden boy, yeah. <laughs> which is why you went to South Carolina. Okay, my my point is, you are aware that there's different levels. Now, one of the things that I'm uh, talking over with our staff um, and we haven't made a decision so I'm probably being too transparent here on the podcast but I don't think it's a weakness I think it's a strength but on our freshman and our JV programs 
I see a lot of coaches who who coach at those levels and whose varsity coaches allow them to do this, trying to whatever it takes just to win that game, win the game, win the game, win the game. And you may have a kid who has been committed to everything you've asked him or her to do in the offseason, in the summer, in the preseason, even back in the postseason after the last year's season. They never miss. They're there. They work hard. They sweat just as much, if not harder, than your best player. Okay? They're just not as talented. And they are fine with being on one of those freshman or junior varsity teams. But they don't get to play because they're not really going to help the team win that game. The other side of this is, well, you have to accept that. So just keep doing everything you're doing, but you're not going to play. Well, eventually, they're not going to be able to sustain the toughness needed to do that without any reward. Should freshmen and JV coaches and freshmen and JV teams first and foremost be geared towards developmental? Uh, or is that um, is that fluff, as you said earlier? And no, it needs to be competitive. And only you know the five guys that can help us win are the five guys that are playing right here. I'm I'm, I'm wrestling with that in our program. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Well, one thing that even I've done with my own I'm coaching a pro team here in Ireland is we had a meeting about playing time just this last weekend and how it would be decided. I did a unique activity where I wanted to see where they were. So I actually broke them into groups of three to four players and I posed four different case studies, you know, presenting some issues around potentially, let's say players six and seven are more talented than eight and nine, but eight and nine are outworking six and seven. Who plays early in the season? So the group had to discuss it, talk about it, and, and we, I presented a few other cases as well, players having attitude issues, stuff like that. But the groups had to discuss it and share it with the whole team, and it led to these really unique conversations where things came out that the players understood early in the season in particular, you have to hold on to your culture. You have to reinforce certain behaviors. You need to reinforce the hardworking player. At least they saw it that way for long-term benefit and success. So I think you bring up some stuff there around just, you know, understanding it's not just about winning on Friday, it's a little winning down the road. But when it comes to, so it's the same with the freshman and JV program, you want to have, be setting them up for your program's long-term success. And a freshman that works way harder as the eighth man than the fourth man, well, maybe it's better to play him, you know, for the long-term success, also for their cultural reinforcement. One thing that I just distinguish between with my players, I say there's competitive minutes and there's development minutes. Now, at the pro level, for us, competitive minutes means pretty much until we got the game secured, you know, it, it, it's, it, I'm focusing on the competitive minutes. But then there's development minutes. When we're up and the game's put away, or we feel pretty confident that we will be putting our, our chance of winning in, in serious jeopardy, then we look to develop minutes. I really like that. Those are determined, and those are determined by commitment and effort and attitude. And I would say, Jamie, in your program, likely at the high school level, Jamie freshman has to be looking a lot at development minutes. Whereas once you get to that varsity program, you know you're going to be mostly competitive minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, I like that. I like how you worded that. Um, okay. Um, so let's go back to parents before we uh, – we're, we're nearing the end of our time together. But a parent's role 
at the end of the day, I, I consider a parent's role to be first and foremost to be encouraging. Um, you know, you have to be encouraging not only when they score 30 points and they hit the game winner at the buzzer, okay? But you have to be encouraging when, let's listen to all these, when they're injured and they're not playing and they're in street clothes, when they have a bad shooting night, when they miss a key free throw, when they don't play. When You know, there's there's so many more times in a young athlete's life where there's failure and that parent um, has to use all those the majority of those moments to be encouraging. Uh, so when they have that success and when they have that highlight moment and when they start to have more and more of those as they develop, you know, that, that student athlete's going to really appreciate the parent not overcoaching them, not, you know, armchair quarterbacking them, not, you know, the proverbial on the way home. Uh, I know I don't care what your coach said, but this is what I'm your dad. But now I'm, your, I'm also going to be your coach and I'm going to rip you on the way home here, too. I mean, JP, I, I coach a kid in college and he missed a free throw um, after a game in high school and his dad made him run behind the car. His dad had the hazard lights on the flashing, you know, two way lights. And uh, on the side of the road on the on, in the emergency lane, and his kid was running in his basketball shoes and his game uniform on the way home for missing the free throws. <laughs> and, you know, so I've, what's a parent's role? I think it's to be first and foremost encouraging in all moments of sporting life. But in your what, – what, what do you think? Well, if I'm talking to basketball, high school basketball coaches, I would say, you know – yeah, you want to see parents that are encouraging, but I don't think we're ever really in that many big situations where we can tell parents how to better parent um, as the head coach. Just like we're not going to probably take their opinion on how we can better coach. Mm-hmm. You know, and, great point. And I just think it's a really difficult thing. People have brought me in, a lot of my programs bring me in to do. Uh, you know, workshops or experiential type learning stuff with the parents. And I try to help them. The parents have aha moments about how they can be better. But I'm an outsider. So it's, it comes, comes off a little bit different in those situations. Um, so I'm, you know, we try to do, but really when those, I, don't, I try to focus less on the parent just as like uh, the, being a parent of an athlete, but just their relationship with their child as you know, the parent of a human being, mm. you know, and I try to really connect them back to something beyond the sport and really what are they concerned about for their son or their daughter 10 years from now? Mm. What's really going to matter about that? Right. So I, that's what I really try to do is my approach. But when I speak to high school coaches, even college coaches, I think the parent role of program, it should be more than we usually give them credit for. I mean, Anson Dorrance, UNC women's soccer team. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's very, very you – know, every weekend's parent weekend. Parent shows up, they come out, they're invited to so many different team events. He's always, you know, sending them different statistics and stuff. He really makes an effort with the parents. Uh, we just had Mike Abershoff of, uh, you know, Inter Ship. He had 312 sailors on the USS Beth Benfold. He was taking time throughout that year to write notes and letters to the parents of his sailors, letting them know the good things that he saw them doing. When things came up, he'd pick up the phone and call. You know, because he was empathetic, he tried to think about what it was like, you know, uh, as a parent and your son or daughter often on a ship, you know? So if these people in these big time roles, 
and, and you know, when the when they're 19, 20, 21, 22, when they can focus on creating a positive experience for the parents, I think we as high school coaches can start to focus a little bit on that as well too. So what I try to encourage coaches to do is instead of saying, hey, these are the things I won't talk about, say, hey, these are the things I do want to talk about. I want you to pick up the phone when tell me when something's going on at home. When you know when you're going when they may be going through something at home, uh, as as you know, just whether it be divorce or someone lost their job or their grades are struggling academically, or they're coming home and they want to quit, like because they're not enjoying the season. Like I want to hear that. I, mean, it, it, I, I think when we come from that perspective, the conversations that we want to have, right. we start to build into that relationship. Okay. Uh, last thing, let's uh, let's. I want you to. Tell our high school coaches what the competitive cauldron is and how they may um, access your ideas and, and, and the work that you've done on that and implement it in their program. Yeah, so the competitive cauldron, um, you know, speaking of Anson Dorrance, he's been a big user of that, where he's won 22 national championships for the Division One level of North Carolina. Pete Carroll's pretty big into it. You know, Dean Smith used to use it. Um, there's a lot of coaches out there that have been using the cauldron. I know Brian McCormick, who's you know written a lot of great basketball books. He 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 was advocated for it. For me, it, it just evolved as I like to competitive practice. One of my core values is competitiveness, and I got tired of running players after every loss. You know, it was just like okay, well we want to up the ante, so we're gonna make it a really big sprint because we want them to try harder. Well, that doesn't make sense because I'm not really developing competitors. Mm. I'm developing people that just don't want to run. Mm. And I'm putting on data connotations around sprinting. In fact, in our practices, in the practices of coaches I work with, typically you do a sprint, the loser, the whoever comes last, they step off. We win or stay until you whittle it down to like maybe one person. So it, it, winning and running is a kind of a reward. So you try to change the mindset. But we wanted to save time. We wanted to reinforce the idea of like, you should just want to compete because you want to win. But, you know, if you don't keep score or you don't, you know, you're not tracking stuff, it just, it, it doesn't carry the same weight. So we started tracking wins and losses in all our practices. And uh, we developed a spreadsheet where coaches could now just simply go in and at the end of every week, uh, then where their assistant coach can plug in, in seven different categories, uh, how many wins, how many losses they had within that. And a lot of our coaches use a games-based approach. They're in, in soccer or hockey and stuff like that. So we got hockey coaches, soccer coaches, rugby coaches, basketball, we even have American football coaches using it. And um, you know, they chart wins and losses, and it creates a ranking for each category, and an overall ranking for the week or for however many practices you want to section off, as well as for the season. And, and some coaches post it. Some coaches just share it in individual meetings. It just varies by culture. But it has been highly effective at creating a more efficient and more effective uh, and more competitive practice environment. Yeah. Well, and and if they go to your website, the thriveonchallenge.com, correct? Yeah, there's links on thriveonchallenge.com. Yeah. You just go to the home page and you click on online courses and yeah. all. Uh, you'll be able to save a bit of money if you access from there. Okay. Well, I always uh, like to end our, our times with our guests with this. First of all, um, do you have any questions uh, about Kentucky high school basketball? I know that's a weird question. You've probably never been asked that before. Um, but I've had some interesting responses and questions uh, from guests in the past. Ah, 
Yeah, I, 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 one of my big games I got actually to play was when South Carolina was playing Western Kentucky in the NIT tournament back in 2006, yeah. 2005. And uh, we, we beat you guys in the first round of the NIT that year. We went on to win it. But uh, So I've got a little bit of a connection with, with yeah. Kentucky basketball. But uh, no, actually, actually working with uh, working with a coach um, in Kentucky, a high school coach out there. So uh, I know it's been a bit of a challenge um, for for you guys right now, just as far as getting back and stuff like yeah. that, it's just been kind of a, a chaotic time. So it's um, you know my, my heart goes out to all those coaches who are just right. getting back into the gym. You know. Well, thank you for your time. Um, th- this has been a great uh, learning experience for me. Um, my my show note page has more handwritten notes on it than typed uh, text, which is always good. And, um, you know, the goal of the podcast is to give high school basketball coaches that one takeaway, JP, where they can make their program better tomorrow than it was today. Um, Always trying to to, uh, make their program the best version of itself from a day-to-day basis. So I think you gave uh, a lot of coaches more than one takeaway today. And for that, uh, we are thankful. So... um, Best of luck to you, and I can't wait for my uh, my copy of Calling Up to come in through uh, through Amazon, and um, uh, I'll be sure to try to digest it in, in, in a few days, and I'll probably send you an email uh, following up uh, from this podcast and after I read the book. So best of luck to you, and uh, if coaches need to get a hold of you, what's the best way for them to do that? And then just to email me uh, at jpnurbin, N-E-R-B-U-N, at thriveonchallenge.com. Um, or you can go to just the website to learn more about the some of our resources out there. There's the book. There's the online courses. There's the mentorship program where you know, we have one-on-one support for coaches out there. Uh, we also have a community of coaches that's really unique. Uh, we've got over 50 coaches around the country working with myself, Dave Sanderson, another Kind of, uh, coach on the mentorship team, uh, and we, we gather frequently. We just coaches at Division One level. It's professional coaches abroad. It's high school freshman coaches. It's a young under ten soccer coach. Like it's it's a really unique group uh, that's all has a very similar vision, similar struggles, similar challenges, and, and we support each other through that as well. Okay, well, thank you again, and best of luck to you, JP. Thanks, brother. Coaches, my takeaways from my talk with JP today was I'm going to read the book, Burn Your Boats. I'm going to read the book, It's Your Ship. I really liked his language of heart posture. As a coach, what's your heart posture? Uh, Every practice, every game, uh, every interaction you have, not only with your team, but, you know, every day in your school. Um, The difference between transactional and transformational coaching. Transactional coaching, we're focusing on what we get out of our team uh, transformational coaching, we focus on what we give our team. Um, when I asked him about standards and whether standards are something you expect or accept, um, he had some good points on that. Uh, make sure that your standards are relevant to your team. Just don't put a fancy signboard up in your locker room that really doesn't have relevancy to what you're trying to achieve as a team. As a coach, you're going to have non-negotiables as part of your standards, but also let your players establish standards for your programs. 
Um, leadership development needs to be experiential. I love that. You know, I'm guilty of, you know, buying training, virtual training, book book training for our team. Um, and yes, they're getting benefits from that. But am I always cognitive of making sure they're experiencing leadership on the floor and in their daily lives? I thought that was a really good point. Uh, I like this uh, thoughts on having captain councils. Um, don't know if I'll implement it, but it was definitely interesting to hear his take on that. And then, you know, when you talk about playing time, which we all do, whether it's with our players or our players' families, I, I like how he talks about having competitive minutes versus develop minutes and um, making sure you set proper expectations in those conversations regarding which type of minutes a, a young player uh, should expect at a given time. So hope you found your takeaways today because I know you found more than one. If you have any questions about the CoachMaze.com podcast, you can follow us on Twitter or hit me up on Twitter at CoachMazePod or at CoachJMaze. You guys have a great rest of your week. Thanks for listening to the CoachMaze.com podcast. 